0: Hello, and welcome to the Eisner-Amper podcast series, where we talk about how the private sector can work and collaborate with the Department of Veteran Affairs and actually other government agencies. I'm your host, Dr. David Shulkin. I was the ninth secretary of the Department of Veteran Affairs, and I'm joined today by Eisner-Amper's colleague of mine, Ron Dreskin, who's the partner of the Healthcare Services Group. And what we're trying to do in this podcast series is tried to demystify the process of working with the federal government and the Department of Veteran Affairs, because we believe the government works best when it does partner with the private sector. And there are many companies out there that, frankly, are too intimidated in the federal contracting process. So they simply don't try or they give up. And we want to shed some light on how you can work with government so that everyone can benefit from the really great companies that are out there. So I'm so pleased today to be able to have with us a really great guest, BJ Kramer, who's from MCFA, which is a service-disabled veteran-owned small business that works with the VA. And BJ's going to share with us some of the ways that he has found his experience in trying to serve veterans and trying to work with the federal government. We know he's going to be honest and tell us the truth and hopefully help you in being able to do a better job in serving veterans. So Ron, I'm gonna turn it over to you and you can
1: start with BJ. Thanks David and welcome BJ. Great to have you and appreciate you getting involved with this process.
2: Great to be on, thanks Dr. Shulkin and Ron.
1: So our first question was, how did you decide to get involved with your business and how did you decide to offer those services to the VA? So I think there's, there's a long story and a
2: short story, so I'll try to keep it pretty tight. But I obviously, because we're a service-disabled veteran on small business, I am a veteran. And how I got in the industry, our business does planning, strategy, program management, and construction management work. My last assignment on active duty, I did four years operational army and then did grad school. And then I, I landed in an assignment with the Corps of Engineers building what essentially was a $1.5 billion research and development campus at Aberdeen Proving Ground. And that kind of opened my eyes to the entire civilian side and commercial side that supports military construction projects. And there I met Michael Furman, MCFA. They were a innovative and creative boutique consultancy, helping with planning, logistics, program management, and actually some pretty innovative real estate concepts that the DOD was working through. So I was immediately attracted to the company. Got off active duty in 2010. Did a did a little short stint in private sector, swinging the bat on my own in real estate development, and then joined MCFA in 2012. Fast forward to 2018, I bought the majority ownership of the company, so I own 51%, which allowed us to become a service-disabled veteran-owned small business. So that's kind of the the short story of how I ended up in the industry and then serving the VA that was really the adjacent possible. So I was a Corps of Engineers officer. I understood the military construction process. Sometimes you start to convince yourself if you understand how one federal government entity does construction, you think you know how all of them do. So you get excited. And we saw the VA as the adjacent possible. Huge agency. Lots of people, lots of facilities, and lots of money around how they're doing, how they're executing and managing those facilities.
1: I was just going to ask you, your partner Michael Furman. Do he have a similar background as you? He
2: actually doesn't. He is a urban planner by trade, and he went back and forth between kind of military installation work and oil and gas platforms down in the gulf and you wonder what do military installations and oil and gas platforms have in common it's really really expensive operating costs so where michael and i kind of overlap was in innovation and creativity and bringing kind of best practices on how do you reduce total cost of operations and reduce total cost of ownership for these large-scale facilities and campuses and that really is what led us to the va because At the end of the day, I think it's all about stewardship of taxpayer dollars and if we can be bringing really good best practices to these agencies and really advising leadership teams on how to take risks and push against the bureaucracy to more effectively steward their missions and the taxpayer dollars that they're trusted with.
1: What was your experience like when you obtained your first VA contract?
2: So it's funny, you can do brainstorming sessions, you can you can whiteboard the hell out of how you're going to attack these, you can track RFPs, but I actually just got back from a conference that three years ago, Society of American Military Engineers Small Business Conference, three years ago, it was down in New Orleans and the VA had partnered up with S A M E to be a part of this conference. And an old boss ran into me. He was now a GS 14 running planning and facilities and engineering for the VA. So November, I'm pretty sure it was November of 19, November of 19, we run into each other. He's talking about everything he's trying to do, get his hands around. He's trying to hire people. He's got a master plan, but it's not worth a damn because it's a bunch of pretty pictures, but no executable project. And I said, I think we could help you. He's like, I think you're exactly who we need. And here we are in Haddonfield, New Jersey. He's out in Long Beach, California. He's like, well, how do I get to you? Mind you, we're not a service-disabled veteran-owned small business yet. But I say, well, we have Corps of Engineers contracts and you could probably get to us because they'll give up capacity. So- Again, as a small business, you're trying to navigate the bureaucracy, help your client get to a turnkey solution. He, he goes to his contracting folks. Six months later, he's like, I'm getting pushback. I'm like, what do you mean you're getting pushback? We're already a competed contract, we're the skills that you need, and I'm not even gonna charge because we're trying to get in the VA. I wasn't even gonna charge any travel. So we were withholding any overhead. We just wanted to get the project experience and, and help somebody. So we got kind of a proof of concept. He goes back to work runs through, you know, another contracting barrier. And one of the big lessons and takeaways is finding a public champion that is all about trying to figure out who is who and what are the skill sets they need, because they have a lot of work on their end. It's just not easy to get to the resources they need. But long story short, he ends up, we we do end up getting our service disabled status. And he was able to do a limited competition. I think it was three or five service-disabled better-known small businesses competed for it. And because we, you know, it, it was price competitive, and because we withheld our our travel costs, we ended up being price competitive. And and obviously, were the skill set and the resumes that he needed. And the project went swimmingly. But one of the big the big hurdles is like the contracting process can be so exhausting on both sides. That by the time you win the project, either the people that were going to be on the project are, have moved on or on the client side, they just run out of steam and they you know, they throw their hands up.
0: BJ, we really appreciate your honesty about that. Do you think it needs to be that complicated? Do you think that there should be an accelerated or simplified process to do federal contracting? If so, can you identify where you think it could be simplified?
2: So the federal acquisition regulation, every page of that exists because somebody screwed something up somewhere, right? So you have this biblical size machine that manages procurement and everything is with the intent of stewardship and competition and, and making sure that the taxpayers don't get ripped off. But what ends up happening is there's so much waste or there's so much frustration in that process that I mean some people say you have to be nuts it's you're doing business with one one arm tied behind your back so there are a bunch of simplified acquisition processes you've got GSA schedules you've got some sole source but nobody is on the same page so i it's you know and not that we want to get into tax policy but it's it's similar to the tax policy it's like it's created a cottage industry of its own, just managing the bureaucratic pieces. You know, I, I'm a small business. I've got people hit me every day trying to manage different parts and pieces to make sure I'm tied out and I have my dots or my I's dotted and my T's crossed. So there's there's a lot of churn and a lot of waste in that process. It's all in the name of fair and reasonable competition, but it ends up being a bunch of, you know, waste. And I won't say fraud, waste and abuse, but it's It just allows for too much treading water while you're trying to get to solutions.
1: What would you give your colleagues trying to get into the government sector in terms of selling their services? What advice would you give them?
2: Well, I'll use us as a live case study. You you have to partner with people that bring something to the table. And if somebody is doing business with the federal government and you're not yet, find a a reputable company that's doing business with the federal government in an area that you want to be doing. So this is kind of a, a case study in process. But what I saw in Eisner Amper was extremely capable healthcare consulting. You understood healthcare operations. You understood healthcare leaders, leadership. You've run You personally, Ron, I know have run CEO and COO roles. So you you understand what those organization leaders are dealing with. We understand the facility side, the programming side, and for better or worse, we understand that you have to bang your head against the wall and, and deal with the bureaucracy. And we have a specialty there. So going back to the whole thing about stewardship, my entire goal is to be a mechanism to bring the right resources to bear for leadership teams at these healthcare campuses. We can help them with the with the strategy, planning and facilities and construction side, but you help us with the operational understanding and give us the capability to really identify what those leaders know. So I think joint ventures, small business mentor proteges bringing together synergistic capabilities, synergistic entities to break into that world. And And the truth is like, there's no easy business out there. So, you know, the federal government does bring some level of complexity and it can be a very long sales cycle, business development cycle. But once you're in and once you're, you're qualified and you're actually doing the work, that's when the fun can begin again. And you just have to be able to to navigate that competitive and, and business development cycle.
1: Thank you. Uh, David, any final thoughts? I think those
0: are great perspectives that you're sharing. And overall, in terms of your satisfaction of being able to, once you're in there working in the Department of Veteran Affairs, is this something that you're committed to staying in this area for the foreseeable future?
2: Without a doubt. I mean, like I said, reducing total cost of operations and stewardship of taxpayer dollars. So like I I started out, I'm a veteran. I come from a family of military. Giving back and ensuring that healthcare outcomes, to me, the mission of the VA is maximizing healthcare outcomes for our veterans. One day I, I may be, or a former soldier of mine may be dependent on those healthcare operations. So I'm definitely committed to it. There's other areas of the VA that I'm committed to. Veteran I know the VA has a mission of solving veterans' homelessness. And I think, you know, the more efficient and effective we can be with the taxpayer dollars for the missions that they're being funded for, maybe there's savings that are created that can then go be executing and and fixing the homeless mission. So I am very committed to it so much so we've we've launched a nonprofit that's committed to unlocking the future for veterans around veteran homelessness and around transitioning veterans because i think you know not to get on a soapbox but a lot of veterans that are transitioning out i think they just need their next mission and i think that we can provide that and if we're doing meaningful work like working for the va or working for some of our infrastructure agencies these are important components to our our national economy our national security so i'm trying to give veterans, really their next act, their next career and their next mission.
0: So important. Thank you, BJ. You know, it doesn't surprise me. I I used to always say when I would travel secretary and I would be in an area after public or after a natural disaster like a hurricane, and you would see people on the road, you know, giving out food or giving out water, helping people they would almost always be veterans, you know, so that that idea of continuing to serve the next mission, I think is so right on. And doesn't surprise me that you're in there leading that. So thank you again for everything. Thanks for being a guest with us today on the
2: IZER AMBER podcast. Thank you guys. My gentlemen, thank you both.